Please be advised that the content in the Grave Tales podcast series is suitable for adults only. You're with Chris Adams and Helen Goltz for the Grave Tales the series podcast. Also, check out our mini episodes on our Grave Tales YouTube channel. Today's podcast feature story is from Grave Tales Melbourne Volume 1, The Botanic Garden Murders. On a beautiful dusk evening in January 1924, people were scattered through the Melbourne Botanic Gardens, enjoying the last of the summer day, until a gunman opened fire and shot and killed four innocent people, injured another, and changed five families' lives forever. I was really surprised to find this story when we were doing our research for the Melbourne book. I'd never heard anything about it before. Yeah, I hadn't either. And I mean, I grew up in the place. It's an awful story in a sense. Dreadful. But it may be sort of partially understandable. You're talking from a recovering soldier's yeah, perspective, yeah. yeah. The year's 1924, so we're talking a new year. It's Wednesday the 23rd of January, as we mentioned. We're in the City Botanic Gardens in Melbourne. It's a gorgeous afternoon at dusk, and the grounds were being left open until 7.40, then your closing time, so mm-hmm. a lot of people went after work. In the park that afternoon, in one little section, there was Eugenie Strohaka. And Eugenie had been in Australia for 10 years. She'd come from Germany with her family and she was enjoying an evening meal on the park with Mrs. Marie Parry and her 11th month adopted daughter. Now, Marie also spoke German. She'd arrived from Hamburg five years earlier. The children were running around playing. Now, Eugenie suffered from deafness. So she commenced her crocheting. Maria read her book and the kids were playing. It was a really lovely scene. Across the way from them was Frederick William McElwain. Frederick was a widower. And he sat under a large cypress tree on the eastern lawn, reclining on his arm. He was five foot seven or 173 centimetres tall. He was thin, had grey hair and small grey moustache. And if you'd said hello to Fred as you passed, you'd picked his Irish accent. He hailed from Londonderry, Northern Ireland. And he'd been in Australia for just nine days. He was visiting his sister-in-law and the grave of his twin brother who was buried in Melbourne. He had three more weeks of his visit left and he was in the gardens that afternoon just enjoying it as well. It's a very popular place. Yeah. Botanic Gardens. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. So a glance around also would have revealed a family group picnicking, people walking through on their way home from work for tea, and there was also 42-year-old Miss Miriam Podbury. Now, Miriam was a bit of a hard worker. She supported herself by working as a parlour maid. She was from Geelong, and it was her afternoon off, and she'd gone to the gardens, and she was sitting cross-legged reading a book with an attaché case containing some food. Over near the Anderson Street Rockery, there was a married couple, John and Maud Moxham, and their two children. John 37 was an accountant. They were just relaxing on the lawn. And this was about 6.30. So it's a pretty scene, isn't it? Yeah, it is. One of the things about that area is the trams run up Domain Road, right beside the park, and in this story had a role to play. Mm, absolutely, because on that afternoon, a person on the tram who's about to get off take fire on these people who were just in his line of vision. His name was Norman List. He saw his stop coming up and he alighted from the tram near the Park Street and Domain Road entrance. He looked like any other office worker that afternoon. He had a dark grey suit on, a dark felt hat, and witnesses later would say he appeared calm and sane. He was aged somewhere between 30 to 35. He was of small stature, so he was about 5 foot 4 or 164 centimetres. He was carrying books and a parcel. And when that parcel was unwrapped, it was revealed itself to be a rifle. It was an 1894 US-made Marlin mm-hmm. 44. Yep, very powerful it's, weapon. Is it? Yeah. Well, Norman entered the gardens. He made his way to a copse of thick trees. He unwrapped the gun and he loaded it. So it was very calculated. Yeah. Don't know why, but it was. He looked around 
and any sites where the people we mentioned, Eugene and Marie and their family and kids. Yep. The Irish chappy. Irish chappy, the lovely parlour maid on her afternoon off and the families of workers there with the accountant father. And then he took aim and he fired his gun and the shot entered Eugenie's body, killing her instantly. He aimed at Marie and shot, hitting her in the jaw. The police later would recall the picture of the children running around crying and terrified at the scene. Eugenie lay dead, her crochet work still in her hands. Marie lay outstretched on the lawn, injured like she was sleeping. And then Norman List with his gun moved on and he spotted Miriam, our parlour maid, reading under the tree. He took aim and fired and she was killed with a bullet to the neck. Her book dropped to the ground and then List spotted Fred, our visiting Irish man, lying under the tree. He was about 45 metres or 50 yards away. Yep. And Norman List knelt down, he fired across the open lawn and hit Fred in the chest. And he didn't stop at that. With no agenda or explanation to what he was doing, he crawled behind a bed of flowers, crossed the footpath, and then he saw John and Maud Moxham and their two children. He aimed at Maud, but she actually saw him and she screamed and dodged his line of fire. But he didn't stop then, he aimed at her husband and he shot him in the back and hand. John fell, but he was still alive. And his children and wife were distraught and surrounded him. Mm. But he died three days later of his injuries. Unfortunately, the paper was later to report that so accurate was the marksman's aim that none of the victims was able to give alarm. I remember John Moxham when he was in his hospital bed because he survived a few days and he was able to speak to the police. And he said he thought it was just a gardener's shooting to get rid of pesty birds. He didn't think for a moment, or you wouldn't, that somebody had opened fire in the Botanic Gardens. And so right at this point in time, there's no apparent reason for this having happened. No, and still a lot of people on the guns had no idea that there was a gunman on the loose. By this time now, there's a bit of commotion. The children are screaming and the gardeners and head attendant became aware of the commotion and they rushed to the scene. Now, Norman List, our 30 to 35-year-old gunman, threw the gun, climbed the iron fence and ran out of sight. So it all took four minutes for those five people to have been shot and all those lives changed. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess it wouldn't have been long before the police turned up. That's right. So Special Constables Ward and Munro arrived and they were said to have been distraught to find all the terrified children. And in no time they had the support of 150 other police officers. Wow. And it was one of the largest manhunts ever conducted. It's a lot of police, 150. Yeah. So they planned to drain the lake to look for the gun because yep. somebody thought they saw him throw it. But the lunatic, as the newspaper was calling him, Norman, remained on the loose for over a week. So you can imagine the city residents were terrified, walking to work, walking yeah. around, thinking they might be shot at. Targets of this yeah, mania. That's it. Norman's father, Charles, was a widower and he soon found out that the killer being sought was his son. Norman's mother, Adelaide, had passed away four years earlier and soon Norman was going to be identified as a British Army veteran of the Great War. But still, the reasons for his massacre seemed unfathomable. He was given a cheque for some work he did and he went and cashed that and bought a gun. Mm. The employer said he was a good workman. When he bought the gun from Donald McIntosh, who was a gunsmith at Burke Street, he said he was just going into the back blocks and would use a rifle to shoot some kangaroo and wallabies. That was just a few hours before he went to the Botanic Gardens and opened fire on the scene in front of him. So what happened with him? Was he eventually caught? Yeah, 1st of February. So it was eight days after he went on that shooting rampage when they found his body. Ah. He'd taken his own life and he died in Bushland at Deep Creek near Pakenham. So that's about one hour or 61 k's, 37 miles from the gardens themselves. It had been determined he'd been dead for some days at that point. Okay. I guess after they found his body, there'd been an inquest of some sort? Yeah. They had a brief adjournment to wait for witnesses, and it actually started on the 26th of February. So Norman's father and his sisters, Florence and Alma, and brother Wilfred, were all there. 
In terms of Norman's death, they thought he fell and struck his head, but his left wrist had been slit and he died, according to the government pathologist, of a hemorrhage from severing that artery. Norman's sisters didn't want to believe it. His sister identified him and told the deputy coroner that while it was definitely her brother in the morgue, she's not convinced he did the shooting. She said that he'd been living away from home for about 14 years, so he wasn't close to the father or the family. He'd left for Sydney, been in the United States since the age of 16, returned to Melbourne, been studying Spanish and translating the French Bible into English. A clever man. And Florence told the inquest that he was waiting for his gratuity from the UK, having enlisted in the British Army during the Great War, and that he intended to return to the United States. The doctor said there was nothing at the postmortem to indicate madness, but a couple of his former employers said that he was suffering a disease which he'd contracted on a boat coming from Mexico. Norman had told them the disease was driving him off his head and he intended to see a doctor. He had not been treated by a doctor. I guess what made it hard for the police in this case was that they really didn't have much of a description of the bloke. And I think that's probably why his sister thought it might not have been him. Yeah. And the father said his son appeared nervy, but Norman's sister, Florence, kept saying he was with her at that time. At ten past six, he was with her. It would have been impossible for him to be shooting. So, so she gave him an alibi. She gave him an alibi. But the father didn't agree. The father said he hadn't seen his son since 2.20 that afternoon. So I suspect she was trying to save the family name too. Yeah. It was accepted that Norman List was a murderer. They were satisfied that the gun had been found and the guns was purchased by Norman List as well. There was very unreliable descriptions of him, but John Moxon, as I mentioned, was able to describe him before he passed away. So what happened to some of the other people involved in this? What happened to Eugenie Strohacker? Well, poor old Eugenie, she died instantly, as you know. She was buried in Brighton Cemetery two days after the murder. It was a cloudy, wet afternoon compared to her beautiful last afternoon alive. It was only a small ceremony with a small group in attendance. Her husband, Adolf, was employed as a pastry cook. They had three children, Julia, eight, Margaret, five, and Henry, 11 months. Poor old Adolf was left a widow with the three children, and they lived in Hardy Street. The neighbours said she was a fine woman with splendid physique, and she was a good mother. Adolf remarried four years later and died in 1947 in his 60s, and his second wife, Mabel, survived him. There was a kind of a bizarre twist to the death of Frederick McIlwain, the man who came from Londonderry that we talked about, in the sense that he ended up in the cemetery uh, beside his brother that he came to visit. Yeah, he also rests in Brighton Cemetery and he was buried that same morning as Eugenie. Frederick came over to visit his sister-in-law and to visit the grave of his twin and then he ends up lying next to him, so that was quite sad. He's been Presbyterian section. Our parlour maid Miriam, who was 42, died at the scene. She was, as I mentioned, from Geelong. She'd been in the position for six months. She was the youngest child and had two sisters and a brother. Mother Annie was still alive, but her father and her other brother, Harry, passed away. So she was returned to Geelong. She was buried two days after also on the Friday 25th at the Geelong Eastern Cemetery. And John Moxham, he lived for three days after being shot. What was the eventual outcome with him? Yeah, it was very sad. John was from Essendon. He was 37. He had the wife, Maud, and two children. His hand was shattered. The bullet entered his back. His prognosis was favourable, but then he sort of took a turn and died. He didn't take any notice of the sounds, as I mentioned, because he thought it was a gardener's. He became very ill on the Saturday and passed away on the Sunday. Mari Parry? Yeah, well, Marie Parry, she was a friend of Eugenie's who was sitting there with her reading a book that day and she got shot in the jaw. She survived, but her husband was a sailor. He was at sea, a boatswain, and he was on the SS Ashridge, so he couldn't get back from sea duties for another week, so he was kept appraised of her progress and a neighbour looked after her 11-month-old adopted daughter. And as for our killer, Norman Mm. Alfred List, he was buried with five wreaths on the coffin from family and friends. He was buried at Burwood Cemetery, Melbourne, in the same grave as his mother, Adelaide, but his name doesn't appear on the headstone. 
his father and siblings went to the funeral. So no one really knows what triggered his rampage. Maybe, as I said, his head wasn't in the right space. He was ill. He'd caught something on the way over. It could have been what we call uh, PTSD these days that we didn't recognise much in those days. So it's a sad story for everyone involved. Grave Tales feature grave. We are in Walloon, which is a little town just outside the city of Ipswich in Queensland, where there is a park called the Henry Lawson Park, which is near an area where two little girls drowned and were buried in the Ipswich Cemetery. Now, the grave is worth going there just to have a look at that. These two little girls were going up to their neighbours to pick up butter, which the kids did once a week. They didn't know that the neighbour had died. They disappeared and they were found drowned. And Lawson wrote the poem, The Babies of Walloon, which lots of people will remember. Beautiful grave, Henry Lawson on the front of it, the two little girls dancing round flowers at the time, which they think attracted the kids to the water. So what's the park then? Is that something separate again? Yeah, it's a park in Walloon uh, called the Henry Lawson Park. And it's a memorial as to where this actually happened as opposed to the cemetery. There's a beautiful mosaic. There is, yeah. Yeah. And again, that's worth the drive out to Walloon to have a look at. And how far is it? from the cemetery? Probably about 20 minutes drive. Oh, that's not too bad. No. And who were the little girls? The two little girls were Bridget Kate, who was eight, and Mary Jane, who was seven, but there are other records where their ages are slightly different. The babies of Walloon in the Ipswich Cemetery, Queensland. And can we have a couple of lines from the babies of Walloon? All is dark to us. The angels sing perhaps in paradise of the younger sister's danger and the elder's sacrifice. But the facts were hidden from us when the soft light from the moon glistened on the water of the babies of Walloon. If you've enjoyed today's episode of Grave Tales, please rate, review and subscribe by pressing the follow us button. You've been listening to a story from Grave Tales, the series, available in paperback, ebook, and select titles on audiobook, music by Kai Engels. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or on our website. Check out our YouTube channel as well.